Have you ever watched as a relationship in your life fell apart before your eyes? <laughs> this is the point of the sermon. I'm supposed to tell you a story about when it happened to me, but <laughs> those stories are too painful to share. There's a chance now a name just came to mind or an image just came to mind or a memory from the past came to mind or a flood of emotions came to mind because when relationships break up and fall apart and crash and burn, it destroys us in some way. As I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking about all the different times in my life that I've seen relational brokenness and there are some cringe-worthy moments in there. The hardest ones for me are the ones where I don't feel like I did anything wrong. It all just kind of fell apart and I had to watch it happen like it was a train wreck or a slow motion uh, part of a bad movie scene or something. It's, it's difficult to experience relational fallout, especially when we're in the midst of it. I have this memory of being in, in middle school and I had this comment that I thought was really funny and I said it to a girl and I hurt her feelings so bad she never talked to me again after that point. I remember exactly where I was when my high school girlfriend dumped me. And I remember the emotion of feeling broken and unwanted and discarded. And my mind started thinking, what could I have done differently to have avoided this mess? And as I move into adulthood, and I start thinking about those memories. Those ones get more and more painful. As I think about lifelong friends that parted ways with me, or I think about situations in life where misunderstanding happened and one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was in this tension with people, and I remember seeing folks in public that I used to be best friends with, and, and the tension exists to this day. There's something so difficult about relationships that crash and burn in our lives. And chances are, as you're thinking about this now, you've had a, a couple of instances of times it's happened to you and you're thinking about things that you could have done better to avoid the fallout. I mean, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have approached it this way. I thought I was supposed to bring this up, but I didn't know it was off limits. Man, if I would have just done this differently or navigated this situation differently or kept my mouth shut or opened my mouth more or prayed more or moved less or moved faster, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And this betrayal of trust or this brokenness of relationship it wouldn't be a pain that I'm feeling today. If you've ever experienced the pain of brokenness in relationship and the chasm that it, costs, that it causes between people, you are not alone. And this whole series that we're diving into today addresses just that thing. Today we jump into a series called The Complexity of Forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about brokenness in relationship, the word forgiveness has this triggering effect on me where it just makes me like, oh, no, I, I don't want to think about forgiveness with people who have betrayed me. I don't want to think about forgiveness with a broken relationship. I start imagining what it would be like to humble myself and pick up the phone and say, let's have coffee or whatever it is. And that is not even on my radar. And so don't get scared off by the word forgiveness as we start this series. We're going to take things really, really slow. Because the truth is, before reconciliation and forgiveness can happen in any relationship, there's a long season of hurting and, and despair that we, ex that we exist in for quite some time. And before the season of despair, we have a, a betrayal moment, a, a time in our life where the relationship breaks initially. And even before that moment, there's a backstory. 
There's a season, that's probably the season that you're thinking about now where you wish you would have done things different or navigated things differently or seen the signs or made some moves. There's a season, a backstory to a time of betrayal that precedes all these other things. And today we're not going to talk about forgiveness. We're not going to talk about reconciliation. We're not even going to talk about betrayal today. Today, we're going to look at the text of scripture to look at the backstory of betrayal, the season of life before relationships break apart. So we could do a little bit of an autopsy on some stuff that's happened in our own lives. Or maybe if you're in a season now where you just are seeing the writing on the wall and you're sensing that an important relationship in your life is starting to fall apart, maybe there's some things that you can believe or hold on to as we look at the text today that will help you to navigate this season and avoid a betrayal moment. Now, the, the text that we're going to look at today and for our whole series is the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. If you have Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 37. It starts the Joseph story that carries on until the end of the book. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to walk with Joseph as he experiences the backstory of betrayal, the betrayal moment, the deep pit of despair that he was in, the moment of forgiveness and reconciliation, the moral of the story on the other side that God is working in the midst of all of this. We're going to navigate all of that over the next five weeks. But today, we're going to jump into Genesis 37 and start small and talk about the backstory to Joseph's betrayal here in the text. So if you've got your Bible, open to Genesis 37. We already saw some of the text on the screen, but I just want to start us off by reading just one little verse, Genesis 37, 2, and we're going to take the story out from there. This is the story of Joseph. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers the son of Bilhah, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the Joseph story before. We know that it kind of escalates to next week when we see that Joseph is uh, almost killed and left for dead and sold into slavery and a bunch of crazy things happen. When we read the beginning of this story, the backstory of this betrayal moment, it almost seems like nothing of substance really happened at all that would cause a betrayal of such gravity. Right? We sense in the text, as we read through it, that his brothers had something against him. We sense that this animosity was starting to boil over. But as we read that simple verse, it's hard to see what all the fuss was about. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the backstory of Joseph. Because even if you understand Joseph's story, you can read between the lines a little bit, even in this one little verse, and see why Joseph was in such a tough situation with his family. And Joseph came from a large family, an important family. You've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Uh, Joseph was a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the third son, Jacob. So Joseph was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob had this huge family. And what a lot of times we forget is that the 12 sons of Jacob was a huge, dysfunctional, blended family. Jacob fell in love with a woman named Rachel, the love of his life. And he worked for seven years for her father-in-law to win her over. And after seven years, he got tricked into marrying her sister, Leah, instead. And so Jacob married Leah, was heartbroken because now he had this wife that he did not want. And so he worked seven more years to marry Rachel also. So Joseph comes from a blended family with 12 kids, one dad, and actually four moms, two wives, two concubines, and four women in the household at the same time. It was a dysfunctional, blended family, a polygamous mess of a situation. 
When, when Jacob and Rachel got married, all Jacob wanted was to have a son through the wife that he loved, but Rachel struggled with infertility through the entire marriage. Leah had no issue getting pregnant, and Jacob had no issue being with Leah, apparently. And so Leah ended up having four sons for Jacob. So Jacob's got four boys through Leah who he doesn't love, and Leah feels the lack of love in the household. She starts naming her kids things like, maybe now God will love me, maybe now my husband will see me, like that kind of lamentable stuff. And Rachel's on the side just feeling so heartbroken because all she wants is a son, and all Jacob really wants is a son through the wife that he loves. And so after four boys from Leah, Rachel gets desperate. She goes to Jacob and convinces him to sleep with her maidservant and give him, give her children through her. Obviously, it didn't take a lot of convincing in the text. And so now all of a sudden, we've got four sons of Leah, four sons from Rachel's maidservant. Leah gets in the action, says, well, now you need to get with my maidservant, two more sons that way, then two more sons naturally from Leah. And so before Joseph's born, there are 10 kids in the family, six biological sons from Leah, who Jacob does not love, four kids coming from two different servants that Jacob does not love, and the one wife that Jacob really wants to be with cannot have children until five. Finally, the beloved son, the young son, the firstborn son of the wife Jacob loved, Joseph is born. And this is the household that Joseph stepped into. Rachel eventually had another son named Benjamin. But when Joseph entered the scene, he was the youngest son of 11, the only son of the wife that Jacob loved, the firstborn son, the heir to the inheritance, if Jacob has anything to say about it, with all these other 10 children thinking, who is this guy? And in a big family, a lot of times kids kind of gravitate together. And, and Moses, as he writes Genesis, points out that when Joseph was living his life, he ended up hanging out not with Leah's kids, not with his brother Benjamin in this story, but it says that he hung out with Dan and Asher and Gad and Naphtali, the four sons of the maidservants' wives. So in the family dynamics, Joseph was the runt of the family. He hung out with the servant kids, even though in the eyes of his father, he was the most important son. A lot of backstory to the betrayal of Joseph. We see as we look at the tags that, that Joseph was favored by his father, that his father gives him this coat of many colors that he loves, right? I, I grew up in the 90s. I pictured the, uh, the uh, Chicago Bulls starter jackets that everybody got to wear. So I always feel like Joseph got the awesome jacket from his dad. Everyone else is wearing rags in this giant family. And all the brothers are growing in this resentment because obviously this runt kid that nobody wanted is the favorite in the family and is going to inherit everything. And everyone hates Joseph. And we see that in the text over and over, hatred towards Joseph. Joseph goes to his brothers. He's trying to uh, have some kind of relationship there. He's like, hey, I had this dream last night, right? And Joseph seems a little idealistic in the biblical text because he tells them about this dream where they were all out in the field harvesting wheat and they had these sheaths of wheat. And all of the 11 sheaths of wheat of his brothers started bowing down and worshiping the sheath of wheat that Joseph was having. And they say they hated Joseph and they didn't want anything to do with him. And then Joseph has another dream, and he tells his brothers, he tells his dad, he tells his mom, I had this dream that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down and worshiping me. And again, Joseph's dad is thinking, Joseph, what are you doing here? The brothers are growing in this resentment towards him. And we see Joseph as someone who's just watching almost innocently as the whole world turns against him. There's a chance that you've had a season in your life where you've just seen the whole world <laughs> turning against you. 
Maybe you had a friendship group that you were close with, you did everything with, and, and you don't even know what happened. You started telling stories about what was happening in your life. You started feeling some changes needed to be made and what was going on, and you started feeling like people were pushing away from you. People didn't want to talk to you anymore. People were talking about you behind your back, and you felt like your friends were distancing themselves from you, and you have no idea what's happening, but it's like you're watching this resentment against you grow, and you're thinking, what's happening here? You've been living in your home with someone for a long, long time and you start sensing that the relationship is starting to crumble between your fingers and no matter how much you try, nothing helps. Things just get worse. The animosity grows and you're wondering, is there something more going on here? What's happening in my life? Why is this, why is this tension mounting? Maybe God puts it on your heart to have a tough conversation with someone you love because you sense something in their life that needs to change. And so you stir up the courage and you pray and you fast and you go and you enter into that conversation. You say, here's what I need to share with you. This is from the Lord. I see something that needs to change in your life and it's an act of love, but it's taken the wrong way. And coldness enters the relationship and distance enters into the relationship. And even now maybe you're sitting in a season where you're thinking, What's going to happen here? Is this relationship just going to end? Am I just waiting for the other shoe to drop? Now, as we read Joseph's story, we sense that he's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We can sense the tension picking up in Joseph's story as we, as we see hatred from his brothers and even this tension with his own parents starting to mount and to rise. We start to feel for him. Now, the interesting thing about Joseph is that when you read the biblical, biblical account of his story, there is a huge indication throughout the entire text of Scripture that Joseph is a person who is innocent all the time. Now, the only other person in the Bible who's painted with such a beautiful brush as Joseph is Jesus, right? We know Jesus never sinned, didn't do anything wrong, had immensely high character his entire life, and yet Joseph is the only other character in the Bible without a fatal flaw. We remember Joseph as the one who had character when he was in Potiphar's household. We remember Joseph being used by God in prison. We remember Joseph as this example of humility and strength and not cowardice at any level of standing up for what is right. We think of him as the exemplary example of a godly human being. And the truth is, as you look at the life of Joseph in the text of scripture, there is no indication anywhere that Joseph is at fault. Joseph, of course, was a sinner like the rest of us. But as the authors of Scripture remember Joseph, the author of Scripture remembers Joseph as a man who is faultless in the eyes of God amongst all of the terror that's being bestowed upon him. And what that means is that there's a chance that you are in a season right now where your life is falling apart around you, where relationships are growing broken around you, and it's not your fault. Or for Joseph, we can go back on Joseph's story. Maybe Joseph went back on Joseph's story. And he said, oh man, I, I wish I wouldn't have accepted that coat from my dad. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have told my brothers about that dream, right? I imagine Joseph in prison thinking back those events. I wish I wouldn't have told my dad about the star and the moon dream. That was a boneheaded move, right? But Joseph is painted as naive, not sinful. He has done nothing wrong. He's just following the pathway God has for him and the relationships in his life turn against him from every side. You know, there's a chance that you're in a season right now where relationships in your life are falling apart and you are racking your brain thinking, what could I have done differently? And the truth is, there's nothing. 
Now, there's a chance that you look back at a season of your life where betrayal happened against you and relationships fell apart and you're always racking through the scenes and thinking, maybe if I did that differently, maybe if I did this differently, maybe if I would have spoken up or not spoken up, maybe it's my fault, maybe I messed up. There's a chance that you didn't, that sometimes relationships fall apart and it's not your fault. As I studied this, I was thinking about folks, uh, a lot of times that, that I talk to is, in a pastoral counseling kind of situation or talking about biblical advice or whatever, who've experienced things like trauma or abuse in their lives. And there's a theme in a lot of those cases where folks are saying, I think it's my fault that my husband abused me. Or I think it's my fault that I had this person assault me. And in all those cases, I need to come back and say, it is not your fault. You did nothing wrong. This was an act of aggression against you. You might look back and wish you did things differently. Sure, but this is not your fault. There's a chance that the pain and brokenness in the relationships in your life are not your fault. But hey, before we move on any farther, I want to say there's also a chance that that it is your fault. There are some of you right now who are getting very self-righteous and excited because you were a jerk and now people hate you and you feel like you're vindicated on all charges. It is not always not your fault. Some of you, it's your fault. You said something stupid. You've got to go apologize. You did something boneheaded. You've got to go and eat crow, right? You need to eat the humble pie and go and talk to someone and say, you know what? I messed up. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, right? It's not always not your fault. But a lot of times when we experience brokenness in a relationship, when we're only trying to help or we're only trying to do good things, we need to see in the scriptures that there's an example of a story where everything turned against a young man And he was not the perpetrator. He was the victim. And he was the side effect, the late effect, the collateral damage of evil human hearts who couldn't handle someone that the father loved, who had a hard time trusting someone who was the favorite, who didn't look at someone and and they couldn't look at him without anger in their hearts. He was just the victim of a lot of people who had this animosity, most of which was outside of his control. He couldn't help the fact that his dad loved him more than anybody else. He couldn't help the fact that his dad was kind of a scoundrel, married all these different women. He couldn't help the fact that he came from a long line of a lot of stuff. You could read all of Genesis. He couldn't help the fact that he had done nothing wrong, but all of the insults and things that came on him were part of a reputation he earned from his family, not from himself. And so if that's you, and you need to hear that you've done nothing wrong today, hear it, accept it. Hold on to it. And maybe you need to hold on to that when you look back and replay the tapes of the season when betrayal was sparked. Maybe you need to hold on to that and bring that into your prayer life. You're thinking about reconciliation in the future. Maybe you need to use that as you navigate the situation and don't apologize for things that you didn't do wrong. Be humble, be grace-filled, but understand that sometimes relationships break apart and it's not your fault. And hopefully that gives you some freedom But at the same time, I know knowing that it's not your fault doesn't change the pain of what happened. And I can think back at some relationships in my own life of of fallout and and animosity and hatred and discord and, and me thinking, I have no idea how this happened and I'm trying to fix it and scrambling to fix it. And I can look back now and say, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. This was just a misunderstanding. I didn't do anything wrong. I need to trust the Lord in this. I didn't do anything wrong. I need to take heart and move on with my life. I didn't do anything wrong, but I can't escape the pain that came from the brokenness of someone I trusted betraying me in that way. 
know, the truth is, knowing that maybe you were faultless in something, it might give you some freedom, but it's not going to take away the hurt. And as I read a passage of Scripture like this, I have to admit to you, and I think we need to be honest with the text, that I see a lot of hurt in the text of Genesis chapter 37. And we don't get a lot of hope as we read these words. We don't see a lot of the movement of God in the first 10 verses of Genesis 37. All we see is a really lamentable scene where someone's getting cornered by his family and the world is turning against him. I want to read a few glimpses of the tone we get in Genesis chapter 37. It says in, in verse 4 that when Joseph saw that his, brother, that his father loved him more than any of them, when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. It says a few verses later that after Joseph has his dream, his brothers say to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And then he has another dream. He talks to his dad. He talks to his brothers. And it says in verse 10, When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? We see in slow motion Joseph's life just tumbling down this cliff, and we know it's not his fault, but as we watch the tapes, it hurts. If you're at home and you're watching the tapes of a season in your life when betrayal entered into your life, let's just admit it hurts. This is not a tape that we like to watch, but this is a tape in our mind we watch over and over and over again. This pain is heavy and big and huge. And one of the questions we like to ask is, God, where were you when all of that happened? God, if you knew that Joseph was faultless, why didn't you step in and vindicate him? God, if you knew my marriage was falling apart, why didn't you come and rescue me, God? Why did you let my friends turn against me, God? I was just trying to do what I thought you wanted me to do. You know my heart was pure. Why did you let this happen to me? We don't, we don't get a lot of hope in Genesis chapter 37. The only glimpse, the only sliver of hope that we see in Genesis 37 is at the very end of the section in, in verse 11. And it's very small. You've got to read really closely, kind of between the lines to see it. It says, His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers were jealous of these dreams Joseph was having, about bowing down to him, about the moon and the stars, about worship. About His brothers were jealous, it says, but his father kept the matter in mind. You know, this is the point in the text where, as a reader, we're supposed to smile a little bit because we know the whole story. And we know that, that a few chapters later, Joseph is going to be in Egypt, ruling over the land with all the resources at his disposal, even after being betrayed by his brothers, escaping from prison, rising. He didn't escape. I guess he was released from prison, rising to the ranks in society. He had all this power, and he used that power when his brothers and his dad come and they bow before him. He was merciful and forgiving and bestowed blessing on the nation and saved Israel. And so we read this and we smile because we know that in the midst of all of this, God is doing something. You know, we realize as we read verse 11 that God has a plan that Joseph can't see, that God is starting to pull off even before the world turns against Joseph. Now, the truth is, if you were in a scenario where you tried to speak for God and everything fell apart around you, there's a chance that God even then was working out a plan that you have not yet seen the results of. Does that make sense? You know, I look at Joseph's dad. It says his father kept the matter in mind. 
Right, this is just a little like Easter egg that Moses puts in Genesis for us to smile at. Joseph didn't know his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers didn't know that he, his father had kept the matter in mind. I don't even think the father at the time kept the matter in mind. Right, the New Testament equivalent of this phrase is when Jesus was showing himself to be God in the Gospels. And it says that Mary pondered all these things and treasured them in her hearts. It's like she was storing up these glimpses that later would make sense when she saw the full plan of God. You know, we read the story and we see the full plan of God. And so we smile when Joseph's father is starting to see glimpses that God's at work. But if you're in a situation now where you have a relationship falling apart and it's not your fault, there's a chance that you cannot see God's work at all. But I'm here to tell you, God is at work even when you can't see it yet. Now, if you want an exercise this week, it might be good for you to look back at some seasons in your life where you experienced some relational fallout and you weren't at fault, you were just trying to do what was right. And maybe you can look back now and see some glimpses of how God worked in the midst of that. But the truth is we know that if we are God's people, he is always at work in our lives. And the Bible tells us that he causes good things to come out of everything that we experience in our lives. That uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that God has plans for you, not to harm you, not to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So if that's you, if you're a Christian, if you know God, if your life is in his hands, there is a chance that he's put something on your heart to share with someone that you love that has driven them away and you feel like maybe you misheard God. God, I shouldn't have brought that confrontation. I shouldn't have had that conversation. And yet God is saying, no, that was part of my plan. I'm working on them. I'm working on you. And you will see how this all works out. Trust me, I am at work. Now, if you want something to take home and chew on this week, hold on to this week, write this thing down. It, it is When the world is turning against you, God is working for you. God's plan for your life is much bigger than one season of betrayal. Now, this, this moment of betrayal in Joseph's life is not the end of the story. It's not even the beginning of the story. Right? We see that next week, Joseph's going to experience the darkest day of his life when his brothers turn against him. It's going to throw him into prison. He's going to learn lessons. God's going to use him. He's going to rise to power. Something beautiful is happening, but it starts with a very, very uncomfortable season. If you're in an uncomfortable season today, if you're sensing relationships falling apart around you today, if you're struggling because in the past something happened and now you see the fallout today, can you trust that God is at work? Your life is bigger than one season of betrayal. God's work in you is bigger than one season of betrayal. Trust him as you walk through the next season of your life. Now, the biggest betrayal story in the Bible, it's not Joseph. We know that it's Jesus. And we know about the story of Joseph, of Jesus, that the same thing is true. His life, his legacy, his ministry is way bigger than that one day of betrayal. Way bigger than Good Friday, way bigger than Judas, way bigger than the grave, way bigger than the cross. We know that God's plan was so much bigger and everything in Jesus' life, including the darkest day in human history, was all within the plan of God to bring resurrection and life and forgiveness and redemption and the salvation and transformation of the world forever. And God is a beautiful God who has a strong passion for be building beautiful things out of hard seasons of betrayal and resentment and brokenness. Now, wherever you are in that, just trust that God is at work. 
that he loves you, he sees you, and he's working his plan even when you can't see it. And my prayer is that someday you'll be able to look back and see the work that God has begun in you even now. As you go, if you're struggling because you're in a relationship that's broken and you're not at fault, take heart. It's not your fault. Maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord and say, God, give me the faith to trust you at work here. If there's something you can do to mend fences, do it. If there's something you could do to move things along, do it. But sometimes we have to have to sit in the pain and the brokenness and wait for God to come, to cry out to him from the depths and say, God, I wait for you like a watchman waits for the morning. I think that's Psalm 130. Right, if you're in a life season right now where you've got brokenness in relationship and it's your fault, do something about it. Ask forgiveness from the Lord. Go and seek forgiveness from your brother, your sister, your friend, whoever it is. Go and make things right. Don't be the one who sins and does not let go. Let go and move forward. As I pray for us today, this is a painful situation. So I know that you know where you're at with all this. Take some time this week. Wrestle with the Lord on these things and understand that God is at work all of the time in all of his people and trust him with your life. Let me pray for us and then we'll move on into worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we trust you. I love that verse that says that, that you experienced all the heartaches and temptations and traumas that we've experienced as you stepped foot on our earth and became human. You put on flesh and dwelt among us. You've experienced heartache. You've experienced betrayal. Your closest friends turned against you. One of your 12 handed you over to be crucified. Most of your 12 deserted you on Good Friday. You were left with nothing and no one and your loved ones left you and you were isolated and lonely and alone and you are no stranger to human betrayal. You know how many of us feel even today. I pray for anyone right now who's in a season of betrayal or even the, the backstory right now in their own homes or in their own families or friendship groups that you would be close to them as they're brokenhearted, that you would give them comfort if they are not at fault in this whole thing and that they would be able to see that they're not at fault and that they would cling to you, that you would be their companion if their companions are leaving, that their church would lean on them and love them and rest on them and they would rest on the church in this season of hardship, that you would carry them through and we pray by your grace, you would even give them glimpses of the work you're doing in the midst of all of this. I pray for anyone who has sinned in broken relationships that you would give them the courage and the guts to do the right thing, to come to you and say against you and you only have I sinned, to go against their friend or their brother or their parents or their children or whatever it is and say, I am so sorry, please forgive me. Even if they think there's no chance of forgiveness, let them do what is right and come to terms with the truth. Lord, I pray that you would comfort those of us who are experiencing heartache and we have no idea what happened. Give people wisdom who are navigating that season now and of how they might reconcile relationships before it's too late. For folks who are sensing relationships crashing and burning around them and there's nothing they can do, give them the freedom and peace to know there's nothing they can do. We pray that you would be close to us as we walk through these seasons together, even through this series, that you would slowly mend us back up again so the story of what you've done is a story that we're comfortable telling someday and that we get glimpses of your amazing work as you use us in the darkness and as you bring us back to light. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.